I have a responsibility to try to put, send people in the right direction, which is to just be happy in your own little space with the things you have, with the belongings you have. Use your mind, your creativity, your imagination, and change and make things better. Hi, I'm Pierre de Montesquieu, and this is Art Goes On, a podcast where people from the art world share their vision of our society and how they keep the art world running. This podcast is interactive. You can ask questions to upcoming guests through our Instagram account at ourchoices.art. This is O-U-R-C-H-O-I-C-E-S dot A-R-T. Please follow us to be updated. Now, on to today's show. We are joined today by Damien Elwes, a British painter based in Los Angeles. Hi, Damien. Hi. Nice to see you again. Thank you for being with us. So, Damien, how art is going for you? Well, up until the pandemic struck, things were going extremely well. So I had just been offered a museum show for next year in, in the United States, the first solo museum show. And, and the last show that I did, um, a museum bought half of the show as well. So I can't really complain. And now I'm creating a show right now for Unit London, which will be in August. And so that's kept me really busy, which is lucky. You know, I don't have to think too much about the pandemic and just I can keep working in my studio, which is a, which is a perfect haven. And does this situation change the way you work? It's confirmed um, that what I'm doing, I'm on the right track to me. I think that we're, we've all been confined in these little spaces and um, uh, people are cooking their own meals, their bonds with their families are growing, we see consumerism diminishing and um, people only buying what's really important uh, to them. So creativity and love, that's what's really important and that's kind of what my paintings are about and uh, what I've been trying to express for a long time. And uh, it, it's, I focus on artists, on painters and sculptors, but there are so many other kinds of artists out there. In fact, everybody is really creative, but we see, you know, dancers and musicians and, and uh, comedians uh, performing in their own space. And art creates a bond through all of humanity. And for me, focusing on the artist studio is exactly that is I'm focusing on this, you know, one person who is at a time, one person who is in their own little space, who is trying to create things that, um, that can have an impact on the world, can change things. Because the coronavirus shows us that things are pretty, pretty bad. You know, that, that, that the way we were going, the way things were heading, humans have a lot of potential but we have the potential also to be greedy, to be bad, to be destructive, to make wars, to kill people, to do all that. But we also have the potential to, to change, to have ideas, to move forward, to see that what we were doing before wasn't working. So as I said, my, the studios, I'm focusing on painters and sculptors, but um, I believe that 
all people are creative and we all are able to change and do things better and to and we're learning that in this lockup in some ways you've already experienced isolation could you talk about the time when you lived near the amazon rainforest yes i have a beautiful studio in colombia and i spent seven years there with my wife um, our baby our first little baby our little girl lived three years there And the reason that I chose to live there was because I was very worried about what was going on in the world as far as the destruction of the rainforest. And I decided to kind of witness it with my own eyes and, and to see whether I could do something, some little grain of sand to, to change things, to make things better, to uh, at least, at least, and what came from it though was I was able to learn to paint things that are very close to my heart that are, that are meaningful to me such as nature and um, I was I had seven years of not having to struggle with rent or mortgage or all of the bureaucracy of the modern world to just purely every day just be able to focus on painting and to learn to paint better to paint the nature in a better way and 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 uh, And I made huge floor paintings that people could walk around on where, and find where the source of the Amazon River is in the middle of all of this cloud forest. So, so these very beautiful places that transport people into other worlds, to take people into a completely different place than, than they are used to. And, and I think that prepared me very well for painting the studios when I came back from Colombia. But you're right. I mean living there was so isolated that with this is so easy for us because we had a lot of practice we i couldn't cook even before i went to colombia now i love to cook you know we take it in turns in the kitchen but i love to cook and i had because i had so much time there i was able to read every book that i ever wanted to read before i, I never had that time before time very much slowed down and and each day lasted so long because we weren't bombarded by TV and news and uh, commercials and everything else that takes the time from our life, bureaucracy and all of that. We had so much time each day. And so I was able to make paintings um, that I would never have been able to do back in Los Angeles or London um, that were altruistic, but things that I really, really cared about enormous paintings where you could walk around inside the paintings, circular paintings, floor paintings, uh, 360 degree paintings uh, of nature. And um, we, we could live there for about $15,000 a year. And then once a year, go and sell a few paintings in London or Los Angeles and go back and live there again. And so without all of that pressure, I highly recommend that to young artists. I really do. Because it, to get away from all the pressure and not think about galleries and all of that structure and to just paint, just to get better at painting, that's, that's was the objective too. And is it comparable with what we are living today? Yes, it's very comparable um, because we're absolutely, we're now, but now all of us are kind of put into our spaces, which is our studio. 
and we all have to think about doing things in a different way than than before and we're learning so much we're learning so much and and we're expressing ourselves we're creating we're listening to our spouses to our family to our children we're communicating with the people that we that we love and telling them how much we care about them all of these are really incredible and look at nature outside nature is happy it's coming back together the sky is clean the birds are singing the whales and the dolphins and the sharks don't have to worry about getting a harpoon in the back of their neck you know it's a it's a it's a i just hope that things change a little bit after all of this after all of this uh, time that we've spent thinking about these things are you in contact with the other artists and if so uh, how are they leaving the situation yeah i do and they're being just as creative as i am right now they're they i think folk artists we're we're lucky we're, we don't depend on an office we don't depend on any kind of structure we can just do what we're doing in our space and i think that this is a very creative time i think that fantastic things are going to come from this in the art world and changes as well i th i i i think that people do want positive messages they do want beauty they we were seeing that already i mean i think that's why my painting career has go gone so well in the last few years is because the millennials didn't want pictures of death and destruction that they're seeing and hearing every day anyway they want to be surrounded by beautiful by beauty by the world by nature by all these things that are so beautiful we see around us what is one of the most memorable studio practice you have witnessed lately alex katz i just painted his studio i went there i visited him um and it probably wasn't a very good moment because in, but he let me come and see and then you know and which was really fantastic but i could see that he was in a little bit of a dilemma about the paintings that he'd done the day before but let me just say that i have learned so much from watching him paint and from see it is absolutely incredible so he paints completely differently to the way i paint he starts with the background everything in the background and then comes forward and he paints with huge brushes and he makes these gigantic paintings that we admire in five six hours in an afternoon there's a lot of preparation there's drawing there's thinking there's how he's going to do it but he's become such a master at making a painting and in the fewest amount of brush strokes that he can and th that is just phenomenal to watch i i i uh, i'm blown away by by how incredibly good he is with a brush and um and how concise and so there's no wasted effort at all and and he is so physically fit in his 90s he's running he does push-ups every morning i don't know how many but a lot he does sit-ups and then that's why he's able to do what he does i've been focusing on some of the older contemporary art in my contemporaries uh, in the last few years because they may not be with us forever and i want to make sure that i make a painting of their studio and that they get to see what i've done so that we can talk about it and chat about it and and in and, and uh 
yes, I mean, those, all of them, Rose Wiley, David Hockney, Alex Katz, Yayoi Kusama, are incredible, have incredible energy, even at the age that they're at. And I, that's, I admire that so much. I mean, Kusama, her method is a phenomenal as well, you know, to come into this little tiny space and with a big table and she's got a chair on wheels and they just rotate the painting around for her, the square painting, they rotate it around for her assistants and she just paints her dots and spots all over it. And it's, it, it, that seems really simple and facile, but it comes from years of, I'm painting her studio right now um, in New York, from New York in the 60s. And Donald Judd encouraged her to move into the apartment below her. And mm -hmm. she, it was a moment when, before, when the, just before the dots started happening, or they just started happening at that time, and she, but uh, she is sewing, sewing gloves together to make a huge tree in her apartment. She's, she's sewing, I, I don't know how to describe it. She's sewing blobs together, filling her shoes, her clothing with these blobs and her covering her sofa that she's sitting in with these protrusions coming out. It's the most fun studio to, that I've ever painted, really, in a way. And I haven't really figured out exactly uh, the best way to do it quite yet, but I'm, I'm, almost, I'm almost there. And Donald Judd will be coming downstairs to help us sew all of these things. Most of my studios for the last 20 years have been, I've been trying to be as accurate as possible to get things exactly. And then I realized that people don't notice that anyway. So it's okay to use my imagination as well to, to try to paint studios of artists like Gauguin or Hilmar Raff Klint, where we don't, well, we're not exactly sure what was going on, what was happening. I'd love to paint Leonardo, but I, you know, that's so little information to go on. You don't have an, an art academic background. You studied playwriting. So how did you start painting? Exactly right. Exactly right. So first of all, I was very lucky. I, I, when I left Harvard, I, my playwriting professor as a graduation present gave me Matisse's palette knife. And my first reaction to him was, what, you don't like my playwriting? And he said, uh, no, no, I love your storytelling, Damien, but the, all your stories are about an artist who hasn't quite found their thing. And I said, painting, really? He said, well, your father and grandfather were famous painters. You know, I'm just saying. And I was like, okay, okay. I go off to New York, ignoring his advice completely. And I find myself working on a film. And one day, my job was so menial. I just had a walkie-talkie and I was keeping people away from the film set. So I never even saw the film being filmed. I just had to keep crowd control. And what, but one day I'm keeping the crowd into Penn Station and when I let them all out, there's Keith Herring drawing on posters with this chalk on these black posters. And all I said to him was, um, your job looks a lot more fun than mine. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, can you paint? And I said, no, no, not really. He said, can you draw? And I said, yeah, I love drawing. I draw every day. He said, well, that's all I'm doing. So pick up some chalk and help me. And I said, well, I can't. I'm working for that film director over there behind me. And so I could lose my job. But but I know who you are, you're Keith Herring. This is so exciting actually watching you. And I'm learning a lot. I'm being, you know, just watching what you're doing. 
And we struck up that conversation and then we continued to be friends. And at the end of that conversation, he said to me, listen, you said that you couldn't um, paint, right? And I was like, yeah, right. And he said, um, well, nowadays it's so easy. Just buy six cans of spray paint, find an empty wall, they're everywhere in the city. And when you draw with spray paint, that's a painting. And I said, oh, I've never thought of that. And so he said, next time I see you, I want to hear that you've done your first painting because I know you're a painter. Then I saw him about a week later in New York and uh, going, I was walking in the East Village going to a party and I suddenly noticed he's right next to me with a six pack. So I said, are you going to the same party at Tim's? And he said, yeah. <laughs> and he spent the whole, he said, did you do your painting yet? And I made excuses. No, I'm still working on the movie. And he spent the whole evening just filling me full of how he went from drawing to painting. It took years. Van Gogh, the same thing. It took him 12 years before he started to do a painting. He was like, I know you're a painter. And at the very end of this wonderful, wonderful story that he told me about going on the trains and painting his first graffiti, and after that painting a painting every day since then, he, at the end of that, he said, um, when we said goodbye, he said, next time I see you, I'm going to do you a favor. Next time I see you, if you haven't done a painting, I'm not going to talk to you. <laughs> and so <laughs> that got me started. <laughs> and how did you end up in Paris where artists allowed you to witness the studio practice? I luckily found an abandoned building in New York, filled it full of graffiti paintings. Robert Fraser, who was the biggest dealer in London at the time, came, loved my paintings, put me in a show with Basquiat, introduced me to Basquiat. And then I said to Robert, Robert, I love graffiti, but I, I don't want to just be discovered as a graffiti artist. You know, Warhol said we're only going to be famous, famous for 15 minutes. Um, I want to go to Paris and learn to paint with a brush. And he said, well, I think you're making a mistake because you're the only British graffiti artist at the moment. <laughs> you know, we should do this. <laughs> and, um, but I do respect what you're saying. I did end up going to Paris and pursuing that dream because I really did want to make paintings where I could tell stories, more of a story. And the graffiti artist, the graffiti is very immediate, but it's hard to tell a story with graffiti. So I went to Paris and the first thing I did is I went to the Bateau Lavoie because I knew that's where Picasso's studio was and, I, and it didn't exist anymore. It's just the tourists go there, there's nothing to see. And so I was disappointed. I then went to the Pompidou Center. I was so lucky because there was a painting of the Rue Grand Augustine studio by Picasso and it was right next to a painting by Matisse, Matisse's open violin case in front of the window. And I sat there for several hours with tears just streaming down. I couldn't stop crying because it was, these paintings were so beautiful to me. And I just loved form. I loved line. I loved color. I just fell in love with painting at that moment. And, 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 and I think I was crying because of the realization that, that my professor at Harvard, that, that Keith Herring had been right and that I really was a painter. And here I was doing it in, in Paris. But I still had the problem where I didn't really have a studio in Paris. I didn't know anybody in Paris. I couldn't apprentice myself to an older painter because I didn't know any. So the next day I went to, to Gustave Moreau's studio where Matisse had learned to paint. And it's a big studio. There's two studios. But I was sitting on the spiral staircase in the, between the two studios, looking at these two studios. And I thought, oh, that's a fun sketch I can do in my sketchbook. 
because you can see people walking on this level and you can see them walking on the level below and it just looks fun as a drawing. And so I, while I was making that drawing, I suddenly had a brainwave. I thought, I know what I'm gonna do in Paris. I'm gonna go to find every artist studio that I can find, knock on the door and ask the artist, can I please make a drawing of your studio? And they would say, hmm, okay. If you sit really quietly in the corner over there and don't say a word, you can stay here today. And I would sit there and I would make my painting and they'd come and look at it at the end of the day and they would say, hmm, not bad. If you like my mess, you're gonna love my friend Philippe's studio. And they would send me, to give me the next address or telephone number and I would go. So that was my art school, two years of just walking all over Paris and going to these incredible studios. And so recreating artist studio became your main theme. After the rainforest, I came back to Los Angeles because it became dangerous in Colombia. There was a war going on and we had a three-year-old and we had another baby on the way. So we scheduled to come and have the baby in Los Angeles do an exhibition there at the same time to make some money. And we ended up living in Los Angeles at that time. And it was in year, that was the year 2000. And while we were in Colombia, we had no telephones, no internet, no anything. But the internet had just been invented, actually, while we were there in the 90s. And so when I got back to Los Angeles, one of the first things that I was wondering, what am I going to paint? I don't want to paint swimming pools like my friend David. I, what am I going to paint here? I'm going to, uh, I don't like cars. I don't like airplanes. I don't like, um, so I bought a computer. And, the very, and I saw, oh, Google, how interesting. You can find out anything, see anything. So I put in, first thing I Googled was Picasso's Bateau Lavoie studio. And nine little photographs came up, little fragments of photographs. After a bit of searching, nine little photographs came up of Picasso's Bateau Lavoie studio. And they're just fragments, some of these photographs. And so that's very hard to figure out what the studio looked like. And I don't think anybody knows what the studio looked like since Picasso's time. Uh, but I played with these, I drew them from them, and suddenly I realized in one of the photographs there was a hand of one of the demoiselles. And so I looked at the other photographs, sure enough, there was an arm of another demoiselle in another photograph. So then I printed out Demoiselle d'Avignon and put it in the middle of those two photographs, and suddenly I was able to create the jigsaw puzzle and see what the whole studio looked like. And that okay. painting that I've done has been in, that's my most famous one, it's gone to museum. So that was the first moment when I realized, my goodness, I can do this with any artist I admire. I can not only paint their studio, but I can go to a moment in time when they were at the height of their innovation and see what was going on and describe that to people. Damien, I could listen to you for hours, but. The show is coming to an end. I still have just a few questions. Sure. Do you think that things will change after the lockdown? I think that a lot of good things are probably going on. A lot of things are happening. A lot of changes. A lot of people wanting to change the way they do things and seeing that it's only going to be through the contribution of all of us, all of us wanting to, to save this humanity that, that, that it's going to be possible. We can't listen to the leaders who are currently in power right now because they came to power in a different, different time when 
you know, it was all about the economy. It was all about making money. It was all about uh, selling as much as we can and buying as much as we can. All of that isn't working. And I think it's what's really led us to this place. And I think it was not only predictable, but I think a lot of people, artists included, saw this a long time before this happened, before this calamity. And I think the calamities could be much worse, could easily be much worse, um, and, and are worse. And we're going to be facing grave situation in 50, 100 years, you know, if we survive that long, uh, if we don't change. And I think that artists can lead the way into pointing people in the right direction. Um, and that's what I've been hoping to do with my paintings for the last... 15, 20 years is to point people, just point people in there instead of painting about destruction and war. And we know that, we know death as a part of life. It's interesting to look at paintings about death, it is. Uh, but I also think that we need to have a responsibility, or I do, I have a responsibility. I, didn't, I, I can't talk for anybody else. I have a responsibility to try to put, send people in the right direction, which is to just be happy in your own little space with the things you have, with the belongings you have. Use your mind, your creativity, your imagination and change and make things better. Now I have a question from our web community. And Jeff wants to know if you remember a specific moment when you felt you found your voice as an artist. After the meeting with Keith Herring, um, I was very lucky, so lucky. You know, Keith Haring said, find an empty wall somewhere in the city. Not a few days later, Sidney Lamette, the director I was working for, calls me and says, you have the keys to my office, right? And I said, yes. And he said, okay, I need you to be there all weekend because unfortunately I'm losing that beautiful brownstone on the west side. It's going to be knocked down and they're going to put a huge building instead of, in place of it but I need you to be there all weekend and help them move or help the movers get everything from my office and move it to 57th street where I'm moving. And so I did that. And at the end of the weekend, I suddenly realized I have the key to a building. <laughs> and so I have a hundred empty walls. And so I went there and I started spray painting. I was with Sydney Lumet's daughter, Jenny Lumet. She came with me. She got bored in about half an hour. I was having the best time of my life. And I, she left. And I went on painting, but I didn't know in those days that with spray painting, you have to put a mask on or, or, and so I passed out from the fumes <laughs> <laughs> and I woke up a few moments later. I'm not sure how long I was out, but when I woke up, I had to live and I felt my nose was completely blocked and I blew as hard as I could into my hand and a spiral of plastic colors came out into my hand. I've never seen anything like it. And I thought at that moment, oh my God, I'm dead. I've killed myself the first day of painting. <laughs> but then I looked around on the walls and I saw my friends from Harvard, a group on one wall. And I looked on the other wall and I saw Venice, Italy with the boats and the gondolas. And I looked on another wall and it was the New York City skyline. And I suddenly realized, my God, I did all this. This is my imagination. I can't believe it. I, I'm, a, I'm a painter. I, get, I love this. And that I have painted every day. Like, like uh, Keith Haring said, I painted every day since then. Wonderful story. And for the last question, 
do you have in mind an artwork that reflects what we are living today? I saw only recently a movie called For Sama. It's a documentary and um, it did what only great art can do and that it moved me so much from the beginning to the end. It was a roller coaster of feelings, of thoughts. And I think the movie is very, very um, pertinent to what we're going through. It actually makes what we're going through seem okay, which is amazing because it's not okay. But it, I mean, it's, it's just so much worse what they were going through, but it's a love story between a man and a woman. He's the doctor, the head doctor in a hospital in Aleppo, and she's a young journalist and they fall in love and she gets pregnant and she takes her camera and she starts filming herself in the mirror talking to her baby. And she goes on filming until the baby is born and, and Aleppo is surrounded and the doctor, her husband is saying, don't worry, they're not gonna attack the hospitals. And the next day they start attacking, the Russians are dropping bombs on all of the hospitals. And suddenly they just have one hospital left and the situation is, absolutely terrible children are dying everybody all the people who are being brought in and the entire city that you see at the beginning in her video has been complete over the several months has been reduced completely to nothing to rubble with you know and it's it's devastating but it's also so beautiful because it's not a movie where a script has been written it's really what's happening and it's really from her heart and it's really her thoughts. She and her husband are both very intelligent, very beautiful people who are really trying to do good in the world in this terrible, terrible situation. And I don't want to say too much more and ruin the movie, but that movie really strikes me as being so pertinent to what we're going through. Damien, thank you so much for staying with us today. And we wish you the best for your upcoming exhibition at Unit London. Bye-bye. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. And I've really enjoyed talking to you and seeing you again. And take care. Thank you for listening to this episode of Art Goes On. If you like what you heard, feel free to follow and share the show on Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or on YouTube. Leave a rating or review to help people find the show. Thanks again.